we value presenteeism being available. What we don't value is downtime, you know, time to let information sink in and connections to be made. You know, we don't value time so much that is spent that drives much more inclusive work cultures like listening and inquiry and empathy. Hello, hello, this is Johanna Herbst and I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career podcast where I sit down with truly inspiring individuals and we dig deep on leadership and career-related topics to give you the insights to get from motion into action and make things happen. That's why we are here. And in case you wonder, depending on the day, I either work as a certified executive and career coach or a management consultant, and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. This week, it's all about time. We will look at time intelligence, and basically, we will ask ourselves, are we using our time wisely, or is there room for improvement? And yes, that is important since time is the most precious resource we have. So really taking a moment to reflect, what is our return on time? Can we do any better? Is time well spent? And I have the best guest for it. It's Helen Beatham. So Helen, she works with businesses and HR leaders to create time intelligent organizations that gain a better return on the time their employees invest in work. She is an organizational expert, speaker, host of the Business of Being Brilliant podcast and author of The Future of Time, how reworking time can help you boost productivity, diversity and well-being, winner of a UK Business Book Award earlier this year. Helen has over 25 years experience in corporate workplaces and professional careers with expertise in organization and team effectiveness, HR, diversity and inclusion, culture change, people management and time management. She is regularly featured in the press, including the Financial Times, Forbes, Fast Company, the HR Director, and HR Review. She's a mom, stepmom of three. She loves running, swimming in the sea, and her unruly pet chickens. Helen is based in the London area in the UK. And before we jump in, let me quickly ask you, have you already rated and reviewed this show in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify? If not... Maybe today is the day. And while you're at it, could you please also tell at least one friend about the show? You helping me spread the word about the show means the world to me. Thank you. And now it's time to focus on time intelligence. Helen, it's great to see you again. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Hannah, for inviting me on the podcast. And I'm really well. I'm well today. I'm quite relaxed because I, I took last week off on holiday with my daughter and went down to the coast in Cornwall and enjoyed a bit of sea swimming, as you mentioned. So I feel much refreshed for that. Nice. Okay, so that's perfect for recording today. And to get things started, I would like to start with a few rapid fire questions. Short questions, short answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. Time plays such an integral role in your work. If you could travel to any year in a time machine, what year would you choose and why? Good question. 
I'm not that adventurous, so I don't think I'd travel forward, although I'm kind of curious to know what the future holds. But I think I would travel back in time to the Georgian era in the UK, where I could just see kind of grand people in grand country houses living a really grand life. Because one of the things I love doing in my spare time is, is going around old National Trust properties and imagining how people used to live. So I would go back to the Georgian era, I think. So intriguing. And as I said, you published your first book. What is one of your all-time favorite books? Probably my all-time favorite book. It's not a business book. It's fiction. Is 100 Years of Solitude by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. Just an incredible book for so many reasons. And say, if you could have dinner with any famous person, dead or alive, whom would you invite? Uh, golly, who would I invite? Probably Michelle Obama, because she's ah. just such an incredible, inspiring figure and incredibly grounded at the same time. And I'd love to pick her brains on what it's like to be, you know, married to the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you should invite him, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get them both for dinner. <laughs> And maybe she will be also the answer for the next one. Who is one of your role models? Golly, it's funny. I sometimes get asked this and I'm always slightly stuck for an answer. would probably say my dad, my father, who grew his own law firm business never went to university but super entrepreneurial and capable and had a really strong sense of community spirit as well wow you just mentioned your dad how would your family and friends describe you in one word <laughs> they'd probably laugh at the question quirky <laughs> Do you want to share more about quirky? I'm getting curious now. Yeah, sure. I think they would say I care a lot about people and doing things well. And I'm a very family-oriented person, but I also have my, my big, bold challenges that I like to pursue and odd habits like supporting our local wild hedgehogs who are endangered so i i feed them every night and i love watching them every evening outside our door so that causes a lot of amusement amongst my family who have learned to oh, so to sweet. go with my little hobbies like that <laughs> i love it i love it and say so you also work with leaders what is one of the most important qualities in a leader i think to be really human actually to let people see that first and foremost you are an individual with feelings with a home life who faces their own ups and downs in life and who doesn't have to be this superhero superhuman all of the time and who can relate to other people as individuals and humans and 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 bring humanity into the workplace You were just mentioning superheroes. Who is one of your favorite superheroes? <laughs> Do you know what? I was never massively into superheroes. Probably the only one I... The ones I used to watch growing up were Wonder Woman, which I loved at the time, and the Superman films. I'm not so much into superheroes, but I came... I am a really passionate baker and in particular bread baker and I came across I think it was on social media many years ago when I was doing my own baking during a career break and 
it was a small business in a different part of the country called Baker Girl, and it had the superhero black mask. And I just loved the whole concept of, of that, combining my love of baking with a superpower. <laughs> so I love I'd it. probably go for something that doesn't really exist, but that would be my ideal superhero. Better. Yeah. <laughs> and last question for the rapid fire. What is the best advice you've been offered in your personal or in your professional life? This advice has always stayed with me and it's one I readily share with others. And that is to always have a really good plan B. So you might have the plan A that you're really motivated to achieve or the things you want to do in work and in life. But sometimes we just need a really good plan B that we feel just as excited about, that we could really see ourselves living and doing, that isn't a trade-off, but is just a different path that you could go down. And that advice was given to me at a quite challenging time in my life, and it helped me enormously. And now we already got to know you a little bit, but I'm curious how you ended up where you are today. Could you please share the key milestones? Yeah, sure. So the first milestone really was my first job post-university, not my first job ever. I'd done lots of holiday and summer working. But I worked at Harrods, the department store, as a graduate trainee on their management program, but quickly ended up working for one of the directors instead of continuing with the program and got involved in troubleshooting problem areas of the store and also managing the big twice-yearly annual sales, which was when the whole store turned upside down and operated quite differently for a couple of weeks. And that was a milestone because it taught me, first and foremost, that I wasn't passionate about retail. So I didn't see a future in that industry for me. But it did teach me that I loved working with people and teams and helping them make changes happen successfully um, and to help problem solve in teams and organizations. So that really was the milestone that led me into the larger part of my career, which was as a management consultant for what was then called Towers Perrin. It's gone through a couple of mergers. It's now called Willis Towers Watson, huge global firm. And the part of the business that I worked in was like a big five consultancy. We managed big organizational people and HR related changes. And that's really where I grew all my business and management and people skills. Did a lot of kind of training and development, grew my self-awareness, understanding of how people interact and team dynamics, learned facilitation skills, how to design workshops and all sorts of great transferable technical skills around kind of client relationship management, becoming a trusted advisor, all of that. And I remember, though, up until that point, I had really struggled with self-confidence and never felt that confident in my abilities. And, and actually, it took one point uh, Again, another difficult time in my life. My father had died very suddenly and I was having, struggling a lot with my well-being and social anxiety. But I had this moment on the sofa talking to friends, colleagues about a work, work topic, a project we were working on. 
And I suddenly realized, I had this light bulb go on in my head. What if I spoke up more? What if I took the initiative more? What if I just said what I think and see what happens? What if I just cared a bit less about what everyone might say? And that was a real turning point. And, after, and people said to me very soon after, we've really noticed a shift in, you know, how you're driving ideas, how you're leading, you know, you're really coming into your own and your role. And, and that moment's always stayed with me. But also that, time, that whole 15 years I spent at that organization, I was really fortunate to work with some amazing colleagues who were great mentors and great coaches and great people managers. I just learned so much from them, as well as having a huge amount of fun uh, together, often on projects for a long time away from home and very long hours, but still really enjoyed the company I, I worked with. And also met my husband through that organization. You know, that was something I never thought would happen either. So that's definitely a milestone yes. that was both overlaps in my work and, and home life. And as a result of that, became a stepmother to two and then eventually mum to a third as well. I think my fourth milestone was a year or so after our daughter was born. She's now 11, nearly 12. I took her along to kind of baby and toddler group in the next door village. And I met, I happened to be sitting next to another mum and baby girl. And we got chatting. We were both discovered we were both professional women with careers in the city, both on maternity leave, both wondering about what work life looked like post our first baby. And she became a great friend and actually a business partner. I ended up helping her grow a professional network she'd set up and then became the first employee and a director and business partner and helped her grow the business together. So that was a big milestone because it marked the start of a more entrepreneurial direction in my career where I was working, instead of working with big corporates and being employed in a big corporate, I was working for a very small startup. Initially, we all worked for free in a voluntary role. And, and I wore many hats. We all wore many hats. We managed everything ourselves, but kind of designing the website, really. So I learned a load of technical and digital skills that I didn't learn in my corporate role because there was always someone else whose job it was to do that. So that was a big milestone. And then I think my kind of final milestone, really, was when I'd made the decision that it was time to, to strike out on my own and think about the next decade of my working life, I realized it was a kind of now or never moment to try work freelance and grow my own business. And it was a conversation, I was having lots of conversations with different people about managing career transitions and what had helped them, their transition moments. And I spoke with another author and speaker that I knew and she mentioned her publisher to me and as a result of that conversation about six weeks later I was holding a publishing contract for my own book which out of two months earlier I'd had no clue was going to happen so, so that was fast yeah really really fast so, and it was just as we were going into the first winter of lockdown so I was like okay that's what my winter is going to look like <laughs> yeah and then on the back of that, that published in, in March last year. And then really, I guess the, the next evolution of that milestone was winning the National Business Book Award this year, which was a really significant moment and has, yeah, been a source of, you know, unexpected joy and 
added, I guess, to my, my, my credibility and my business as well. So, yeah, those were probably the key milestones, certainly work-wise and a few life ones in there as well. Thank you so much for sharing. We actually do have quite a lot in common. It's like the background is also consulting, business, now coaching. So we share quite a few things here. And I love your journey from going from retail into consulting and then down the entrepreneurial road. So I think this is how careers go these days. What is the common thread there? Well, I think if you'd asked me that, you know, earlier in my career, I, I wouldn't necessarily have known the answer I think it's always easier to figure that out with a bit of hindsight and I have over yes. 20 25 30 years of career to look back on now but but hopefully many more years ahead I think the common thread has been about helping people succeed and creating better workplaces and working environments so that people can get on get in and get on in their industry and, you know, thrive and do well, regardless of their background or their routine or, or their home life setup. Uh, I think that's what I care about is helping me effectively make yes. the world of work a better place for the people in it now and the people of the next generation. My assumption is that you value diversity very highly. I also listened to a few of your podcast episodes, so I think that is a safe bet. What does diversity mean to you? Yeah, you're right. I do. And it's something I've become increasingly interested and involved in, I would say, over the last 10 years or so. I think it comes partly from a strong sense of fairness. I want things to be fair for everybody. Uh, you know, I don't like thinking that there are barriers that disadvantage certain people and certain groups. And I hate, you know, a lot of kind of accepted social attitudes like ages of you know what my first ever job was in the summer holidays working in a care home for the elderly which my own grandmother had lived in a few years before and so I spent the whole summer working with with elderly people who needed care a lot of care day to day and I had the best time there I had so much fun they had so much wisdom and it was also very humbling and And I just think we so undervalue, you know, the older people in society. So I'm very passionate about that angle in particular. But, but any aspect, really, I just think at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we just need to value differences instead of seeing them as a reason for rejecting someone or judging them before we really know that much about them. We can all make the team stronger because we bring different life experiences different insights, uh, different angles on things. I can echo that. It's like also as a project manager, I come usually as an outsider to a project and I know I bring a different perspective. So if you have two, three people like this that come with a different angle, the discussions really change. Yeah. Because if everybody has been for 20 years in the same organization, they went through the same thing. So there is a lot in common and the outsiders, they do help. Yes, absolutely. And I think we just get very used to seeing the world through our own eyes. Yes. You know, the joy of talking with young children and older people is they're, they're often less filtered, particularly older people perhaps with, you know, memory loss and things. They'll, they'll say things that someone else might not think to say. And a child is much less... So you get a very raw, different perspective on things that really makes you think, hang on. So, you know, there's quite a different way of looking at the situation or um, I'm just very curious about people as well. And I love to know 
their stories and where they grew up. And so I just love good conversation. I'm I'm sure I'm a bit like my my father. I used to tell him off because he'd I'd bring a friend home from uni or a new boyfriend and he would literally fire questions at them. (laughs) And I'm like, Dad, you're scaring them. (laughs) I want them to come back. Yeah. You mentioned our kids a few times and you also shared that you are a mom. How did becoming a mom change how you look at, say, work cultures, time spent in organization? How did that impact your point of view there? Yeah, good question. I think in, in two ways. So firstly, I was a stepmother for many years before I became a mother, about eight years or so. We were a family of four before we became a family of five. And the thing that that taught me is that whilst parents might get talked about in the workplace a lot, step-parenting was rarely mentioned. So we kind of fell between, you know, kind of people without children and people with children. Step-parents is quite a different set of category, and it's quite a different role, and it's quite a different experience. And I had no role models either. I had very few people oh, wow, to talk to about I never thought about that. that. No, everyone else I knew my age was having their own children. So it was really good when I finally did kind of come across a few people that were step-parents first. I think the second thing I would say, uh, and this was became much more real to me when our daughter was born, is although I'd worked with many friends and colleagues and clients who were working parents who talked to me about you know, the challenges of managing parenting alongside a career, uh, it, I got it at a rational level. <laughs> but I really got it at a visceral level when it happened to me. And I suddenly realized, I really understood why they said, no, I can't come out for drinks after dinner. No, I can't dial in on my non-working day. No, I do have to leave the office at 4.30 to get the train home to pick my child up from childcare because we don't have relatives living near us and there's no one else that's going to do that. And I just didn't quite get the the reality of that until it was me um, saying those things yeah so I think and that's a real challenge is and it's back to the diversity point when someone has a very different experience you know and and family set up how how do we really allow for that and understand it if it's not our own experience and when I was reading about you the word time intelligent was popping up everywhere how do you define time intelligent Yeah, so that's right. I I guess the core concept in my book, so I talk about time intelligence and growing our time intelligence as individuals and as teams and as managers and leaders and across organizations. And it's about our ability to invest our time wisely and thoughtfully and effectively and to see the best possible return on that investment. And I don't just, I really don't mean in terms of just efficiency or, you know, financial return. I mean it in the, the broader sense. So growing a time intelligent team and organization for me means clearing away the things that that stop people from working really productively. So looking at the organization holistically and saying, what you know, what helps people make the best use of their working hours and what gets in the way. So what does typically get in the way? Oh, lots and lots of things. So I would say sometimes it's kind of organizational clutter, lots of lines of layers and bureaucracy. Often it's processes that 
quite complex. So they have lots of rework involved. Often it's just the way work is commissioned and managed. So one of the things people often said to me when I was researching for the book is, you know, we put all this time in preparing, say, a board paper and only for the manager to then rewrite half of it or, you know, make or request something at the last minute when we could have worked on it earlier. So there's a whole lot of rework and duplication of effort. And at the end of the day, the paper wasn't even read by the people there because they had too many too many papers to read. Yes. You know, so things like that, that, that really cause wasted time in organizations. But it's also about things about the way we are managed and rewarded as individuals. You know, if we are only, you know, measured and rewarded for, say, the number of hours we spend charging to clients or, uh, you know, achieving sales targets, then we'll do everything yes. possible, you know, and, and the more we exceed it. So overwork becomes and overachieving that comes rewarded even more with bigger bonuses. You know, but then that takes time away. What isn't rewarded is time for managing and developing other people, for supporting one another through employee resource groups or networks, you know, for playing really valuable non-financial contributions as well. I had that discussion earlier today is that everything that is more on the softer side is not valued. Sometimes it's not even undervalued, it's just not valued. And that is a pity. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think what we value in the book, I talk about some of the norms in our society around time and what we typically value and what we don't value. So we value things like busyness and urgency and speed and instant responses and gratifications. And we, we value presenteeism, being available. What we don't value is downtime, you know, time to let information sink in, and connections to be made, you know, unconsciously when we're not focused on a task. You know, we don't value time so much that is spent, that drives much more inclusive work cultures like listening and inquiry and empathy and advocacy, you know, because it's not task related. It's not going to get us to the next sale quicker. Yes. And in business, you, you always learn if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. So I guess that is also driving a lot the focus on this kind of KPIs. And you said before that for time intelligence, like when you measure the return on it, it's not just the productivity, the efficiency, there's more behind it. What are other KPIs you can actually use to measure whether you are investing your time wisely? I think there are some simple ones. It's a great question because it is a difficult topic and it's easy to kind of measure time as an input rather than actually managing the outcomes that we're seeing. So, for example, instead of measuring and rewarding people for hours spent, you know, I don't know, certain activities it's better to much better to manage by the outcome you know what did we achieve and 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 what were the consequences of that and worry less about you know who put in the most time on it or you know how much time was devoted to that so i'm much more in favor of managing and measuring the outcome rather than time as an input but i think back to what we were talking earlier about you know the non-financial contributions that people make There are some organizations that now formally 
measure and recognize and reward times that people spend running and contributing to employee resource groups or employee networks. And they put built into those people's performance you know, goals. They might say, okay, 20% of your time is going to be spent doing that because we recognize the value that that builds for the grows in our organization. That is valuable time because you are helping to connect people and grow healthy, strong social bonds and supportive communities. And we recognize we need that as a business. You know, without that, we're not going to operate as well as a business. So I think that's an example of what companies can do much more easily. I think that is also giving more autonomy to the individual and that autonomy is linked to motivation. And we need to have people that feel motivated and inspired by their jobs. Otherwise, they, the quiet quitting, I guess, is something that might happen there. Yeah, absolutely. And there are lots of different ways of looking at it. And I think your point about autonomy is so, so true and, and very good. The more we, we manage by outcomes and, and manage performance really well, which is often something we don't do very well because sometimes it's uncomfortable and it involves difficult conversations, we allow ourselves as managers to step back from micromanaging all the activity. And that can mean giving people more, to, more freedom and trust and flexibility to just get the job done, however and whenever you know, they can do that. As long as they're delivering on time and to quality, that's the main thing you need to worry about. But it requires a different approach as a manager. And so there's quite yes. a lot of interesting research out there about you know, how we all spend our time wrapped up in meetings, like that averages 80% of our time in meetings. But a lot of those meetings are about managing the progress of work. And actually the effect that it has is, is to reduce people's autonomy. Whereas if you take away lots of those meetings and, and instigate things like meeting-free days, then the autonomy, the responsibility for making progress with the work and then reporting on the progress they've made, it sits much more on the individual employee's shoulders. So they have become yes. more accountable and therefore also more motivated to deliver better. For somebody who is in an organization where those things are not yet valued. Is there any advice that you have what the individual can do to really improve their time intelligence? Yeah, great question. There is. It's not just something that we can work on individually as well as in our teams, but I think we also have a responsibility to ourselves and to others, to whether that's colleagues or, or family members and friends to manage that well. So I have some checklists on my website that people might be interested in downloading a checklist if you're just an individual thinking about how you manage your time but one also if you're a manager of other people of a team to think about that too and what I suggest is you take a few minutes uh, maybe look at the checklist and, and it asks you a few questions about how often you do certain things and how are you spending your time and and whether you're spending it in on the things that are going to get you lead closer to your goals, but also leading the kind of life you want to lead. Because I think the problem is we get so wrapped up in a cycle of busyness that we quite often drift off the path that will lead us ultimately to living the kind of life we want to lead. So that means sometimes we need to take this step back to yeah. really see where are we, is that where I want to go before we, as you say, are getting stuck in the cycle of business. Exactly. So a little practical step I would suggest, and I do this every week, is the end of each week, I take five or 10 minutes with a cup of tea or a glass of wine in hand to look back over my week 
And I do three things. I reflect on the week I've just had and I say, okay, what was, what did I spend my time on? And how did that feel? And, and what, you know, happened as a result. Then I celebrate. I write, make a note of, you know, my one, two or three things that I'm really proud of that week that, that may only matter to me, but, you know, I want to recognize that. And then the third thing is I look ahead and I plan and I say, okay, next week, in the time I've got, what are the things that are really important to me to do and to spend time on? So I, and I do that every week and that sets up my plan. For, and I come back to it each day the following week. And I actually do a little version of that each day. And I say, okay, today I've probably got 20 things that I'd like to do, but I don't have time. So looking at my, my plan for the week, what's most important today? Today happens to be Friday. Have you already reviewed what you're proud of this week? I haven't yet, actually. I tend to do it late afternoon on a Friday, so it might be what's coming up next. And sometimes <laughs> I manage it on a Saturday. I take my daughter to her gymnastics class, and while she's bouncing around, getting sweaty and bendy, I'm sitting there with a mid-morning cup of tea and doing my reflections. Sometimes I do it when I'm not officially in work time because I'm a bit more relaxed and it gives me a bit more perspective on it. Basically, for anybody listening, if they want to get a better handle on their time, that means they should, to follow your example, take some time by the end of the week to really see how was the week, what am I proud of, what can I work on, what, I, what am I planning to do for next week? Because that allows us to do this step outside to really see what's happening, like we are taking a different perspective here. Yeah, that's right. It's just creating a little pause in the busyness to reflect and to notice what we're spending our time on, because that's the very first step in growing your time intelligence is we don't pay attention to it, to how we spend our time. We can't think about how we want to change it. So I build in these little ways of noticing and being much more intentional about how I spend my time. It never goes 100% perfect according to plan. Yes. But, but I start off with a clear idea, and then I can change the direction of that during The week but I think it's the habit it's the regular practice of that that is the most rewarding aspect and question we started off talking about diversity and how companies still have the understanding that you need to be present and there's a lot about like how many hours you spent there and not so much focused on the results if I think about a single parent that has to leave as you said in your example has to leave at a certain time cannot be present all the time what can that person do to still advance in their career because it has nothing to do with their ability to be a good leader, a good manager. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, some parents say to me, working parents, that that's just not an issue for them where they work because their work culture acknowledges that everyone has different home lives and times when they can't be available. But other people, perhaps if they're in a minority as a working parent in their team or organization, or in one that in an organization that just really expects full-time availability, that is the culture there, then that's much harder to do. And I think if you're in that latter category, I think you can have a very clear conversation with your manager about what you're expected to deliver and what good performance looks like. And and then demonstrate, keep them in well informed about how you are achieving those things and ticking them off. And honestly, be brave and say, I'm leaving at this time for this reason. I'm not going to be available for the next hour. 
Here's when I'm next available. If there's an emergency, this is what I'd like you to do. You know, maybe call a colleague that's a backup buddy or call you if, you, if, that's, if that's okay with you. But, you know, to be very open and transparent about that. So, you know, create more possibilities to explore together. And I like the notion of being brave. And I know this is not only for parents, because many years ago, I left work at 6.30, which doesn't sound so early, but I was working in an environment, which was great, but people tended to work very late. And so I left at 6.30. I was like, I see you tomorrow because I do have hobbies and I have a life outside of work. And my direct manager, he loved that. He was yeah. like, kudos to you, you go girl. So yeah, that worked. It can really work. And I've had a lot of managers say to me, They are really impressed when their team members say, no, I can't do it then, but what I can do is get it to you by this date. You know, is that okay? So they are being very proactive in managing that conversation with their, their senior colleague or, or their project leader. And, and the manager sees that and respects it, and they're glad that they're in, engaging in that kind of dialogue. I don't think any manager really at heart wants to know that their colleague is staying up all night to do a piece of work. They, they want to help that colleague find a better, more sustainable way of, of delivering. So the more you can demonstrate that, the better. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that one secret is to really prioritize your work well and then take control. Yeah. Which can feel e easier said than done in some organizations. I know it depends on the work culture. It depends on quite often how senior you are. You may have more power and discretionary discretion over how you spend your time at more senior levels. It may feel very difficult if you're new in an organization or early into your career, or you're at a point where you're still trying to prove yourself or fit in in some way. Ultimately, I would say, and this is with the benefit of hindsight and not wasn't as courageous as this early in my career, definitely. You're responsible for communicating about your own availability and, and sharing the progress of the work that you're working on. So that's up to you to do that well and regularly. But also, you know, be, be open about when you're not going to be available and why. But always look, you know, there's always going to be usually a solution there. And I think that's what consulting life taught me is, Even when it looks like there's only one option, there's always another option on the table. <laughs> no, no, consulting is good for that. And, and as what you said before, always have a plan B that does feel exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the plan A that your manager's proposing is really difficult for you to say yes to, propose a plan B, or at least say, ask that you can ask questions like, you know, how fixed is this deadline? What really matters here, speed or quality? And the answer is the research shows for the manager, it's normally quality, not the speed. But for the employee, we often assume it's the speed yes. of the turnaround. So asking open questions like that creates a little chink of possibility. And in my coachings, I like to throw in the question, if it stays like this, will you still work in this organization a year from now? Usually they say, No. And then I'm like, hey, there's nothing to lose. You can be courageous. You can be brave. Because if it stays like this, you are out anyway. That's such good advice, Hannah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's only, you know, so much influence we have over the way we operate collectively as a team and the working culture. And I think you ultimately have to decide if that's, if you can craft a way of working 
that allows you to flourish and have a meaningful home life. And sometimes you will come to the conclusion that you can't do that in, in that particular organization. It's just not the right place to enable you to live and work the way you want to live and work. And yeah, as you say, you tried it, <laughs> nothing to lose. You know, it may just be the right time to move on. And our time is flying. What is one last advice, insight on time intelligence that you want to leave us with? And then I still have three questions for you. So don't hang up yet. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I would say, sit down with a pen and paper for five minutes and ask yourselves two questions. And the first question is, what does a good life mean to me? And then this, and write for a few minutes. And then the second question is, what does a good day mean? mean to me and just compare your answers because one is about the long-term aspirations and the things that really matter to us and our values and the second tends to be much more about getting stuff done and often the differences help us realize there's some things I might want to change in the day-to-day -day that will help me achieve the the longer term picture. Oh, I love it I will try it as well. Thank you so much so as I said, a few more questions. What is coming up next for you? Well, there is continuing to chat with guests on my own podcast, The Business of Being Brilliant, which I do in series. And the next series will be out in the autumn. There is hopefully working with more teams and leadership teams to grow their own time intelligence and also do some, some group coaching programs for people. I am mulling over book two which mm. I always feel really nervous talking about because there's that voice in my head that says what if you don't actually Pressure. get around to writing it <laughs> yeah but I would love to write a second book and I have an idea on that and even a, a working title called people glue and it's about how to create sticky organizations where people want to stay mm. and I think a big goal that I have because I love to have a big goal is to be able to deliver a TEDx talk about time intelligence. I love it. And say, who else should I have on this show? Yeah, actually a suggestion that I would recommend, if she's happy for me to name her here, is someone I collaborate with a bit, who's a very generous collaborator. Um, she's called Charlotte Wiseman. She is a professional psychologist and she helps teams and organizations to fulfill their potential and work at their best and perform at their best and fantastic insights and sessions. So she knows the workings of our minds very well and also looks and advises very well around resilience and positive habits and personal growth and Amazing. managing a sustainable life, work life. I will ask you for the introduction afterwards. Sure. So for everybody who wants to stay in touch with you, A, they should buy your book, The Future of Time, How Reworking Time Can Help You Boost Productivity, Diversity, and Wellbeing. Then as of fall, they can tune in to your podcast again. It's called The Business of Being Brilliant. And how else can people stay in touch? Thank you, Johanna. So they can follow me on LinkedIn, Helen J. Beedham, And I have my website, helenbeedham.com. Those are probably the best ways. And then I'm on various other social media channels. So, but those are probably the two best routes. I have a 
monthly newsletter and, and, and a blog as well. So if you want to hear the latest bit of thinking or want to come along to one of my free monthly webinars where I do, I do half hour webinars on different aspects of time intelligence. And if you want to get the invitation to that one uh, each month, just visit the website and you'll see the, the sign up form there. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was super, super interesting to learn more about time intelligence and talk everything that's work-related. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. So that was step one to actually get more time intelligent. Step two will be to do the homework. Have fun with it. Please don't forget to follow the show on social at Reaching Your Goals Podcast and me at Delegate. And if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. All it takes is one click wherever you listen to your podcast. This way you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. And if I can ever be of any help with my coaching add-on, just send me a message at johanna.herbs at delegate.com. You will find the address also in the show notes. And with that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.